Welcome to another episode of The Message is Moving, where we break generation curses one day at a time. And today we're actually going to speak in regards to the public school system. I don't have really a great title yet, but by the time it's posted, trust me, I'll have one. Maybe breaking a generation curse of public school system inefficiency, something along those lines. But either way, this is something that we have to address. And even though I'm no longer a South Carolinian, I did grow up in South Carolina, particularly in a low country area. And one battle that South Carolina has had, and I'm sure other areas have had, especially in the Southeast, is the effects of the Jim Crow era, even prior, and how it bleeds into the day when it comes to public school system with our kids and future generations being ready. So I had to bring along a fellow FMU family alumni. I had to bring along one of my pledge brothers on Delta Sigma Pi Business Fraternity. Shout out to them. He's a Boston Celtic fan. That's the only thing I don't care care for, but <laughs> it is what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Henry Watson to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Nate, for having me on the call, having me on the show today. Not a problem, not a problem. And Henry is an educator. And I have to ask, um, what grades do you teach and for how long have you been teaching? So I'm going in my, my seventh year of education. I had the pleasure of starting my education career in 2014. Um, in my, in, since 2014, I have worked in the area of special education, um, serving in all capacities, whether self-contained settings. That's where I teach all subjects, the grades third through fourth grade. When I first started teaching in Williamsburg County in 2014, I currently serve and work in Florence District 1 here in Florence, South Carolina. And I serve as a resource special education teacher where I work with grades K through sixth grade, um, focused on reading and math where I do inclusion that's going inside the classroom helping the students with the co-teaching or working working along the general education teacher with the students and also a pull-out model where I work with the students in my, in my room in my classroom focus on reading and math instruction. So what motivated you to be an educator because in Francis Marion as an undergrad you were in business with me so what what drove you or what inspired you to become an educator? Definitely, definitely. Great question. So when I think when I think about going back to FMU days when I was a business major, I got my undergrad in business administration in um, 2016. I got my first master's degree in education and instructional accommodation. I recently got my master's in instruction and my master's in administration from Grand Canyon University. And when I think back from just thinking about how I started education, um, which is just really in my church working with students, whether that's in like going to um going to church, church programs, working with young kids, being mentors in the church programs at my church in Sumter, South Carolina. Um, this work in summer camps, I did those quite often during my my first years of college and also my, my senior year of high school. And just taking that role and after I got my undergrad degree, I was I looked at as if like, man, what's the next move I can do? And talking with my 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 sister, which worked for a nonprofit called Teach for America, currently does, um, I had the opportunity to step into that role. And um since just just being able to be familiar with kids, I know as a male, being a black male, being present in the classroom, or just being present as a black presence of a male figure, I think was a great opportunity for me. And since 2014, I've been here doing the best I can and providing a great quality education for students here in South Carolina. Nice. Nice. I like what you say because it actually is going to underscore one of the stats that I found. Mm -hmm. So study shows that black students who had just one black teacher by third grade were 13% more likely to enroll in college. And those who had two were 32% more likely the findings led by researchers from John Hopkins University and American University. The studies show that representation matters. Mm-hmm. So definitely, definitely when you were in public school, right? Like, did you have a lot of black teachers around and that was that a, something that was beneficial to you? So we're think, thinking about that, Nate, as I went through um, a public education system and from Sumter, South Carolina, um, when I think about my elementary school, um, I, I for, unfortunately I did I can't recall having a black teacher 
um, male figure teacher, but I definitely had um, female teachers at, as I went through elementary. I, I think I experienced my first male black educator in middle school as, as he was a social studies, social studies teacher. As for high school, it was more of the, the coach's role that that male figure of a black man, I would say, or just a male figure in whole, as general was in that high school setting for sure. But as for elementary, I never experienced it, but definitely in middle school, I had my first male figure teacher was my social studies teacher, Mr. Harry. Mr. Friday, Harry Friday, I recall. <laughs> right. So for the school that you're teaching in, I know you say you're in the Florist District. Um, mm-hmm. What school? What's the name of the I'm, school again? I'm, I'm cur- currently working in Wall- at Wallace Gregg Elementary School, Florence District 1. Got it. And are they, um, is it pretty mixed, predominantly black or... Um, I, I would say, um, as we break down the demographics here at Wallace Gregg, where I currently work, we do have a, a, I would definitely say a mixed culture of mostly predominantly African-American students and also um, 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 white students as well. Um, very okay. rare Hispanic population, but mostly our school is demographics made up of black students, African-American students, and also white students. Got it. So let me, so let me ask you this in your, in your opinion, right? So, because we know representation matters Definitely. all across the board. So, what do you think it is about teachers? I know as you emphasized on black male teachers, how do you think that is beneficial? Is it more so of seeing that authority role just in case that figure is lacking at home, or is it more so of just seeing someone as professional that looks like you? What do you think it is if you can gauge? why that's so beneficial to a student to see a teacher that looks like them. Um, just this, I, I would say this, and like the great thing you said, two powerful points. Um, just the representation, also seeing that a male, a black male figure, could be in that position to teach me. I feel like when I think about the the current position at my current school, we have several teachers of male male capacity, and especially black males. So I'm excited to be at my current setting and my current school, so we have that representation more more than anything. Just thinking about our young black male students. Um, this that having the opportunity, opportunity to have that conversation, that build that relationship. Whether we talking about sports, or we talking about that next spelling test, or we talking about that same that next assessment that they have to take, regardless of grade level, is, is the biggest thing is building that relationship. I feel like it's definitely a key to getting those students willing and and being excited to learn, being excited to come to school. Whether we're whether we have to break things down, we can have a better communication. I feel like having that black that black male figure is definitely a um a stepping stone in the right direction for a lot of male. Students that's looking to get a qu- good quality education, even from the even talking with parents as well, it's a great communication. I feel like it's a great a- aspect, or I would say, great asset being a black male figure talking to talking to well, me- well as grandmothers or mothers or fathers or general parents about their black young man wanting to get a good quality education from a black teacher, male teacher at that point. Absolutely, and also just identifying. Um, also maybe being more tolerant, maybe do certain behaviors, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just, I'm, I'm just sure. yeah. yes, just to talk on that, Nate, I, I feel like, like you said, and, and the biggest thing is building that relationship with the students. Like I said, yeah. um, it, I, I feel like my counterparts of whether that being a female teacher or male teacher, different things may sway someone or different things may rub someone the wrong way, but just understanding that that role and not saying you understand everything but the same capacity at the same time thinking about as you as i was a male young male growing up and not having too many male figures in my life of teaching wise as as educators i feel like just having that male being being a male presence and 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 talking with the students that they get a better input of oh this is how you should do go about doing it so this is where you need to work on this skill so it's it's the the message is taken in in a in a better light i would say got it Got it. So now I'm going to drop some some history and some stats. So if you can bear with me, that's that's what we do. We kind of break down why is the generation curse, and then I'm going to lean on you for your input on some of these. Okay? Definitely. All right. So this and this was a huge uh, column that I found on the Post and Courier, mm-hmm. and it says here in the 19th century the state barred enslaved black children from learning how to write. In the 20th century, Jim Crow's era, the legislature battled against integrated schools as white families fled to private segregation academies. Today, six decades after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled segregated education inherently unequal, almost half of the state's public schools still are made up of students of predominantly one race or another. 
In a state where race and income track closely, that creates huge and growing disparities among schools. Mm-hmm. South Carolina schools trail other states by nearly every measure, leaving students unprepared for the world that awaits them as business struggle to find qualified workers to fill skilled jobs. A Post and Curie investigation has found that more than half of students in grades three through eight failed to meet the state's reading and math standards last year. And that's after the state weakened its standards in the last two decades. I want to point out, I think this article is in 2018. Mm-hmm. So just in case it's been any update today, I apologize for any inaccuracy. Um, but let's point that out there. And also, I mentioned that South Carolina tumbled last year in national rankings in almost every category of a test known as the nation's report card. Mm-hmm. It's fourth graders did worse on math and reading than their counterparts in Mississippi, a state that spends less per pupil and has the nation's highest poverty rate. One in three students graduate high school unprepared for most jobs state has show. The number is even worse in rural and poor districts where some schools fail to graduate even a dozen career-ready alumni. And last point, students mm-hmm. in four high schools scored lower on the ACT than teens incarcerated at the State Department of Juvenile Justice. So, a lot of information, and mm-hmm. this is not something that's, of course, with every school, right? This is more so just nationally as an average, because there's definitely a lot of schools within South Carolina itself. And actually, South Carolina is celebrated for some of their um, magnet and academy, like their magnet, definitely, magnet definitely. Schools, academies are rated higher. But for the schools that are lacking, um, when you hear stats like that, I'm sure you're aware of some of those stats. What's your reaction to those? Um, just to talk a little bit about those stats, and thank you for sharing, Nate. Um, when I when I when I went to read a recent article in February, I read in February 2021 of this of this year. Um, mm-hmm. it said South Carolina ranked bottom up ranked in the bottom ten of the most educated states in America. And when I think about this, and I think about public education, I think about poverty. When you when when the word poverty is is talked about, we can look at different aspects of why and and who and what and the, all the WH questions. But in the state of South Carolina, I think about what I'm currently doing as an educator, and it, it, and and with that in mind, I think about as I go to work each day and as I tell my students. And one quote I, I want to bring it bring up to the podcast is, "Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world." By Nelson Mandela. So when I when I go to work when I go to work, I try to make sure I get my hundred percent. My wife is an educator also in South Carolina, and she works in another local district. But when we think about all those stats being heard, and I, I and as I talk with coworkers, I talk with just friends in general, I think, what what is my duty? What is my role as I go into each classroom where I step into any school? And and I and I and I think about those things and those different stats that that's it's very it's very and and um what's the word I'm looking for very very shocking and very um scary to hear that our students and you think about South Carolina being the bottom ten percent and when you actually go to a school that's and I and I would say I work in a school that's facing poverty you think about what educational programs we could put in place you think about what interventions we could put in place you think about what do we have currently so we can meet those academic needs those areas of areas of of need that our students need right now and then you think about whether that's enrichment and reading enrichment and math and I, and I recall and I want to say that at my current school we have a lot of great enrichments that we try to put it forth with our put forth with our students to reach that academic need that that I would say that achievement gap and and it takes a, a, a I would say a village Nate honestly and I I think going back from what we thought we when we first went to school we think about our parents and think about the whole aspect of taking a village to raise and that I know that sounds cliche but I honestly think if we had that more involvement from all stakeholders not just talking about parents and teachers I'm talking about the full-blown um capacity of the community and we think about how we can move and make that gap or achieve that achievement gap is definitely something that we must take in consideration absolutely i agree with you and i've said this before on on the podcast several times Uh but that's what helped me growing up because from elementary to middle school it really was a village because i actually was fortunate to be in a school where your family members your Mm -hmm. church members they all were staff or teachers Uh And that was a huge culture shock to when our high school integrated with another high school that was predominantly mm-hmm. white because we were predominantly mm-hmm. black. And now we're getting up at five o'clock in the morning just to catch the bus to school that classes start at seven. And there's a huge culture shock, I'm sure, for them because now mm-hmm. you're, in a good way, you're introduced to other cultures and right, races. Right. So that was a great part of it. But 
uh, we kind it kind of took us out that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And because of the distance, the teachers, um, if they wanted to speak with the parents, it was kind of a lot for a lot of these parents because we came from a blue collar background to take off work to go right. that far distance right. now just to even have that communication. Um, so I agree with you that I believe it does take a village. Um, it does seem like South Carolina, especially in Charleston, I don't know how it is in Florence. There's a lot mm-hmm. of movement with schools closing and merging with this school and another right, school opens right. up. Um, have has that been an issue in Florence where schools integrate with each other? Because it, 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 I hear what you're saying and I agree with you, but is it tougher for a village when you have schools that have so much movement based on the zip code? Now, when I when I think about when I think about Florence, and I can I can only speak about Florence and, and Wordsburg County, where I worked in mm-hmm. previous school school districts. Um, in Wordsburg County, it was a very rural, very poverty stricken area. The school populations it was was great was manageable, and I and I and I connects to Florence. Florence has several elementary schools that that will accommodate, and it also have a school choice. So, with that in mind, you think about your zip code, whether you want to go to a a school that's performing better than what your neighborhood is, before you closer to your neighborhood, you can go that school as long as you have the right transportation so when i think mm. about the question of, of of integration of anything like that capacity i feel like the the in florence one we have several schools for our students to to, to be able to attend to so i don't see that as a um a, a, a concern at this time gotcha gotcha and one thing that in my last episode which was about uh juvenile delinquency mm-hmm. one thing that actually uh Recommended. She had definitely a lot of recommendations. Check mm-hmm. out that episode if you get a chance. Mm-hmm. She she actually advised a community outreach group to instead of and I, I think her she was mentioning middle school maybe more in the high school mm-hmm. but instead of like because you know in some cases when there's trouble you know they might put these these kids in a holding cell or right, they might right. have records that kind of you know it, it stays with them till they get to the adult on what kind of infraction that that occurred but she would say hey let's have a community outreach group something that's not biased on either party it's like that lay that liaison between the parents and the students like that middle ground to kind of help to kind of keep that village vibe going um because I, I agree with you and but in some areas, especially with gentrification, it's like at a, mm-hmm. at a high where it was mostly transplants coming in. It's going to be even more difficult for that village aspect to continue. But I also I agree with you. Sometimes you just need that old school. You know, a lot of things change oh, in the yeah, world. You need that old school. You know? <laughs> and um, just just to talk about what what Miss Ashley stated, and I think I think about the school improvement council, and, and each school has one. But that goes back to, and I know we probably get to this question of different attributes that may cause or or these deficits that we see. But I think um, just to talk a little bit earlier about the situation or or the council is building that communication piece, that communication piece, whether that's a parent or a teacher or or any general stakeholder. I feel like that school improvement council is something that we got to get active in all our schools, especially public education. I agree. Now, one of the things you mentioned is for you and your peers, you try to brainstorm different things that you all can do for your students. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to think about how the legislator plays into it because of course I dropped that history mm-hmm. here's another statistic that was a little alarming I'm, I'm mm-hmm. hoping that's been updated since 2018 but it says here that the last time there was any kind of state education reform in South Carolina was when it was done by Governor Richard Raleigh who was a Democratic governor in South Carolina serving from 1979 to 1987 he was the last governor to accomplish sweeping reform of the state's education system. So, 1987. Mm-hmm. Usually I don't tell my age, but that's when I was born. <laughs> I got you. So, <laughs> is that something that you and your coworkers acknowledge? No, I don't say acknowledge, but well, you say that's a huge um, handicap as well. Like It seemed like the state is not exactly having these reforms in place to kind of help out the teachers? Do you feel like a lot of challenges is what the state's lack of effort or lack of concentration at that time? Or what is your reaction to what I just mentioned about that? Um, great, great, sta- great stat, Nate. I just want to throw that out there. Now, I think about 1987, and you think about as I, like I said, I started teaching in 2014. And let's just be real, and let's literally think about, we change everything that our students are impacted by, but the curriculum. 
So let's mm-hmm. think about that. Our children are being raised with a lot of independent, a lot of um, single parent homes. We think about that has changed our ac- academic performance. We think about the basic functional needs being met that changed the academic performance. And it's several, the list can go on. So when we think about how are our South Carolinian students or could be a, be comparable to our local states next door, like a North Carolina or Georgia, or even nationwide. When you think about these significance, yes, I definitely think these things does does impact our students, and we can tell from think about the last time we actually made a, a real change was 1987, and we think about right now we're in 2021. So those impacts of our students actually reaching those academic performances are 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 tremendously impacting them as a whole. Right, right, because. Even with the benchmark on the testing, mm-hmm. the fact that the, re- the response, and I'm just, this, I'm the outside looking in, right? So mm-hmm. it might make mm-hmm. more sense provided another perspective. Mm-hmm. So if I, if South Carolina is behind in these categories, I would think that reform or at least a restructuring of the curriculum will be in order instead of saying, well, because we're, this low in scores, let's weaken or lessen the scores even more. Uh, to me, that's counterproductive. What we try to push for our kids to have, because even if the scores are poor, then fine. You know, then mm-hmm. in the next two or three years, let's have this goal set to raise it, like raise the bar. Like, no, we're not going to lower. That's going to make it worse. Because right, if they can't right. make the lower standard, then what is what is going to say? How that's going to what is the actual effect, the collateral damage of lowering these, these scores? Is that going to also lower teachers' pay? So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't lowering the standards of the benchmark testing, isn't that the wrong move in your opinion to do? When thinking about the question, I'm glad we're thinking about we, we we're talking about this point. Um, I think about legislation. Uh, when I say that, I think about our, our local, our local, and um, also in our capital building here in Columbia, South Carolina. We think about our, our, our representation of our different counties, our different um state, our different areas of the state of South Carolina. And when I when I when I say this, and I talk to coworkers all the time, I say, when the last time has our local representatives in our in our areas stepped into a public education setting? And mm-hmm. looked at, and looked at, really looked at, Nate. How how is this impacting? Because you think about it, sad to say, a lot of our representation of our local local and um state representatives, they they kids probably go to a private school. So let's be honest here, we're talking about it. So we think about curriculum. What what is setting the bar, and what does it look like? What does a good quality education look like for our students that go through a public education setting, twenty four seven throughout the from August to June? or September to June or year round school, what does a good quality education look like? So if we lower the bar, are we lowering the opportunity for our kids to really succeed? And I agree with you. I feel like we should reach reach the point and fill out and recognize what do we have to reach that bar? So South Carolina can be out of that bottom top 10 of of most ed- most less I mean less educated states in America. So that goes back to what I'm saying with the legislative legislators. We think about what is a good quality education in South Carolina like? I would love to hear that answer from some of our local government officials. Right. And hopefully with, with episodes like this, because I even me, I'm not a I'm not a teacher, but mm-hmm. I've always been fond of history and and have a passion for like generation after me right mm-hmm. and I, I just think about things like that because i just feel like not just south carolina but education as a whole i feel like it's in the back burner unless we're talking about money like oh of yeah course, of course of course i agree i totally agree right like even with don't get me wrong i have student loans and mm-hmm. that should be something to talk about but i didn't have student loans hey i went to school I, I, I graduated. I, I earned those student loans. But for the actual kids that's coming after me, that's in development in the most pivotal times in their life, because let's be honest, when you're in school and I am sure you can agree as an educator, you're you're essentially their parents because I didn't. Oh, other yeah, than definitely. Their parents, definitely. <laughs> that's that's who they're going to see most of the time. So why if that's your future workforce? That's your future president, your future mm-hmm. governor, your future all of this, your future um, um, 
don't know, your future Bill Gates, your future right, right. Mark Zuckerberg. Right. This, this, your future in general. this your future in general. The, the, our right. students that are served in public education or private education as well, these are our future students. And for the most thing, I would say, Nate, you think about the, the, the job force. You think about the job force in South Carolina. You think about our students. Are we getting our students really college career ready? And, and just the times that when we think about college career ready students, what does that look like? Going back to one, my statement again of a good quality education, making sure that our students in South Carolina can go forth. And if they do leave South Carolina, are they ready and prepared to go forth and do whatever they need? Or can they stay in South Carolina and still be productive? Absolutely. Let me ask this. How, how does that process looks like? Let's say in a school, right? Let's say you're complaining mm-hmm. about the curriculum, you and your, mm-hmm. your peers. Mm-hmm. How does that look for appealing to get better books, better resources, or even just changing the program? Like, is it, and I'm sure every school is different, but in your school, is it the freedom to kind of change up the program? Is it like an appeal process where you submit something? Like, how does that look in the inside to get attention? Like, hey, we need this in our program or we need better books. How does that process go? Is that a pretty easy, transparent process? Or is that something where it's like, you know, you're not sure how it's going to work in the end? So, Nate, just to, just to talk about. So um, in, in public education, like I said, since 2014, I started teaching. Um, I, I mm-hmm. would say the biggest thing you want to keep in mind when we do have new curriculum being incorporated into the school setting, we always get the chance to provide that feedback. So we have gotcha. programs like I'm just going to throw a couple of programs out. We have Lexia. That's a reading enrichment program. We have Dreambox. We have a math online program. And all those are just a few programs. So, and we think about textbooks. We think about any any new textbooks or current textbooks being done, we do go off a curriculum pacing guide. So with the curriculum pacing guide, which is given out to each teacher as you develop your lesson plans, as you develop what, what curriculum you're you going for, for what you'll be teaching by a weekly basis, um, you got to keep in mind, am, am I staying on that pacing guide? What what are some areas and, and strengths that I see or areas and areas of strengths and weaknesses I see based on the pacing guide? And what areas can I continue to improve from? So in my district, Florence One, you can provide that input. You are, you are welcome to provide that input. But the changes, that that's a little more challenging, I would say, to get that change done. Um, looking at different curriculums is definitely difficult to say, oh, I just don't want to do this. Or you have the data. And the, the biggest thing is make sure you have that data to provide and back up what you're stating. Absolutely. Understood. Yeah, cause I, that's something that um, I was always curious about because I know sometimes it's easy in society to blame whoever the front, whoever the front line is. And right, in this case, right. it would be the teacher, right? right? But it's like, there's always something. There's always more context to it, right? Like, maybe their hands are more tied than we think. It, you know, definitely, hands maybe more tied. You know, maybe it's a more process that we're not even thinking about. So once you get more educated in that, it's like, you know what? I can't even get mad at them for being discouraged. I can't mad at some. I can't be mad at some teachers of even going from another district. I mean, yes. I have teachers yes. who you probably adored, but it's like, hey, the pay isn't enough, or I don't have the freedom to teach these kids properly, and I, I can't. I can't stay here. I got to go to another state, which is unfortunate because a state like South Carolina, mm-hmm. who I feel like it's a lot of pride. And it's definitely a lot of. We should be begging where we, the South Carolina is now currently. Mm-hmm. But because of the lack of concentration in education, you are seeing a lot of South Carolina natives. I'm sure you've seen them. They moved to North Carolina. They moved to a neighboring state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, Nate, just to talk a little bit about that, um, I think about the, just think about public education as a whole. So mm-hmm. we know we're in the bottom t- bottom 10, I mean, bottom of the top, top, like 48, we like 40, 46, 48 out of 50 states. And you think about what is a good quality public education? And when I think about a good quality public education, Nate, I, I think our students should be able to meet the basic functional needs and they have that basic foundation. We have a lot of students here in public education that doesn't master their basic math facts. And if you can't do your basic math facts, we're not talking about fractions. We're not talking about anything above that. We need to make sure you get the basic math facts. And we think about the mm-hmm. basic needs of reading, if you, reading fluency and comprehending what you have read. But we got students that sixth grade and above 
And I'm thinking about high school, middle school that not even reading nowhere near grade level. So it's a lot of factors that play in this role. And just being educated each day, that is a lot of motivation. I may not reach every student, but each time I get opportunity to reach a student, it's a blessing. And I think I take pride in that. Like you said, in South Carolina, it's a lot of prideful people. But at the same time, we got to see what are we missing to connect our students to get this education. And think about it. This is free. This is free mm-hmm. public education. If we can get our parents on board, all our stakeholders on board to recognize this is a free opportunity to get our students to have the best quality education that they can have. And I feel like that goes over our head because it is free. We have that bus transportation, which is free, that free reduced lunch that is free, those free books being prepared or I mean, those free books being given out to them, even school supplies now, Nate, which is free. So are we really taking into consideration of the importance of this quality education? Right. It's, 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 it's a privilege. Like it's all, it's all right, you know, to, to take pride in things like that. And even just a little quick tidbit here that mm-hmm. I mentioned about elementary and middle school, mm-hmm. the same time I mentioned that, that middle school is no longer functioning. And I'm, the last time I went to schools are lacking. And as I as I as I speak a little bit about that sector, and like I, like I, like I said, I mean, or I'm saying now, um, I still got to learn that part of the sector as well, that that business side of it, and the and it goes back to funding, Nate. I would say funding. When you think about these schools closing down, are are, are those teachers, are those are those are those schools able to keep those certified staff? I think right now, a lot, a lot of, across the state of South Carolina, you have a lot of long-term subs in these areas of, you think about poverty-stricken areas, do you have certified staff that provide that good quality education, or do you have a long-term sub um, being provided those lesson plans, and that's additional work on top of, of, of a certified teacher? Those are a lot of factors that we got to unravel, and you think about, is that is that community presence um, strong and is it is it confident to go to those 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 um those city council hall meetings those county county meetings and recognize and, and voice their opinion about this school is our school we we feel like we can support it we feel like we have the funds for it but it go it all leads back to funding it leads back to that that community being invested and also goes back to whether or not what what can we do to keep our students willing and able and excited to learn got it yeah, cause it's just just on. And it's something I just personally absorb, right? Like I love to read, mm-hmm. me personally. But there are a lot of people my age and older they hate mm-hmm. reading. Yeah, and because they associate reading with a lecture. Mm-hmm. So, and now I think it's more pivotal than ever with this technology, because a book. <laughs> I don't think a book would ever go out of style technically. Mm-hmm. But man, you think about how how pertinent it is for a child to even just enjoy or being able to read or just to comprehend a lot of adults that you see a lot of them on TV in high positions don't even know how to comprehend well. Right. Right. And let's talk, let's talk about the, um, the, the whole concept of reading, Nate. Um, we, mm-hmm. when you look at a third grader, uh, as, as state testing starts in third grade, third through third and above. So kindergarten through second grade, they're not testing. I would say, um, South Carolina, um, they have South Carolina Ready, which is a third through upper grade level testing. You have South Carolina Pass, which is third grade and above testing. And you think about reading. As I went to school, and as you say, as you went to school, reading was a joy for me. But if we think about our students, um, do they have a library at home? Do they have, do our students have 10 or more books that they can go to right now in their bedrooms or in the house in general and pull from? So the mm-hmm. lack of exposure, Nate, I would say, um, I think the biggest thing is giving those kids opportunities to learn. And now when you think about technology, we have, e- we have, we have, we have audio books, we have ebooks, we have so much technology at our hands. So we got to be able to use that here. Um, here currently at my school, we have a program called Mayan. So when when COVID when COVID arrived when COVID hit we were saying kids can't physically get a book but now we have a program called Myon which kids can read those books at all levels in all all genres and and take an AR test and when I say AR that's a celery reader test. Mm-hmm. And that test is based off their comprehension, whether that be a five question test or three question test or 10 or more questions. But it goes back to building that comprehension. And when you think about our, 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 our state officials, you think about any any professional arena or just a blue collar worker. Do we ha- do our adults, do our students understand what comprehension means? Do we understand that skill? And that's a skill that we all unfortunately are lacking and that we, we need the more exposure to reading and reading and reading more books and more like honestly. 
That's great points right there. You know, honestly, it triggered this question. I'm sorry, because this question just came out of nowhere for me. Go ahead. Go ahead. When, 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 the whole, uh, I think it's called No Child Left Behind. Yes. Initiative. Yes. So let's, and, let's, let's talk about that, Nate. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead with your question. No, I, well, I was actually going to try to define what it meant, um, but maybe you'll do a better job of that. Can you define mm-hmm. what that is, and do you think that helps or hurts in the long run? So the No Child Left Behind, which was administrated by President George W. Bush um, Jr., I would say Jr., right before Barack Obama administration took over that George W. Bush, he administrated that. And now we have ESSA, Every Student Succeeds Act. That That's like basically a disclaimer, not a disclaimer, but it's taken over the aspect of every No, no Child Left Behind Act. So we have it's Every Student Succeed Act. And with that mm-hmm. act in mind, we want to look at providing, a, and we go to that, we talk about a common core. Um, we think about the educational experience of providing, like in, in the state of Georgia, we need to have a South Carolinian student be able to be able to compete for a job as a Georgian would or as a Florida, a, a Florida student would. So when we think about those those different acts. We want to prepare your students, but at the same time, we can't push our students through the system. And unfortunately, in South Carolina, which is the only state I had opportunity to teach and work in public education, I see a lot of students get pushed through the system. And when we get to that high school level, we see a lot of students dropping out. And we're in 2021. And this is my personal opinion. I'm not representing any school district when I say this, but we cannot have any students drop out of high school. We must encourage our students, especially black males, to get their high school diploma. We must encourage our black young females to get their high school diploma, which is very pivotal at this time. A high school diploma is like a four-year bachelor's degree at this point in our life. And if you don't have that high school diploma and you're looking at a GED, it's going to be a very challenging life for you. That's true indeed. And just to kind of add more layer to it, for our listeners out there, because you mentioned being pushed through the system. So essentially to know child left behind is one of those things where technically they can't be left back. Is that correct? So depending on when we think about students that have IEPs and that's individual education programs, those students that have that fall on the special education sector, they they are not to be able to be retained. But we do have students that do get retained. And the biggest thing is up to the parents. Now, let's talk about that, Nate. If I okay. have a student that has failed quarters one, two and three, and I come to my uh, teacher and tell him in fourth quarter, which is basically testing periods for most school districts, um, that, that review period for state testing, and you're sitting here telling me throughout the quarters, one, two, and three, you didn't recognize that your child was being failed or, or wasn't passing at the time, but you have the right at the end of the school year to, to go against the grain, or I would say, and say you, can, you want your child to move forward. And let's say, for example, we talk about second grade and third grade. In third grade, if your child is not reading on grade level, we have the op- we, they have the opportunity to retain your child. So if you if your child didn't take I wouldn't say take it seriously. If your child didn't apply themselves from quarters one through three, and you decided when the fourth quarter that fourth quarter report card comes home, you don't want your child to be retained because kids go pick at them or what 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 other scenarios situ- situations are going on. But when they get to third grade and they're behind their similar age peers, what have we done? We have moved the kid along. Because the parent wanted to move them on, so they didn't want to be picked at or, or looked at in a different way. But they're not, they're not academically there. They're, they may be on paper third grade or second grade, but their academic level may be kindergarten or first. Mm. Got it. Yeah, that's, um, that's very telling because you're right. That's, that's, you're not really looking at the – this is not, you know, there's more so of not looking at the child's – best interest. You're just looking more so of a pride aspect of it. And, and, and uh-huh. Nate, I, I, I would just elaborate a little bit more for a lot of people that don't, don't come from an educational background. And like I said earlier in the podcast, I came from a non-traditional path of education. I did do Teach for America, so TFA. Shout out to TFA alumni 2014. Um, when, I, when I took on the non-traditional path of education, I was new to education. Everything was a blur to me, and I had Teach for America. I had my my staff when I first started off in Williamsburg County to provide that great educational experience for me as I took on that role. And now I look back as I have my first master's in 2016 in instructional accommodations and education, and now my administration degree. I have enlightened myself on what public, what a good quality public education looks like to me. So when I think about talking to parents, I try to educate them as much as I can. But at the same time, we got to get our parents to be able to communicate and feel 
comfortable to come talk to their teachers before that third and fourth quarter come around. So when that first or second come around, let's let's provide those interventions. All right. Um, great response. Great elaboration. And when I think about this next topic, this is definitely a hot topic because Go ahead. It, it was something that was discussed in the last episode and I did a poll for it. And it was literally deadlock at 50-50. And I saw yesterday. that poll. I saw that poll. Mm-hmm. So the hot topic, especially in this climate, is should law enforcement be involved in the school system? Um, when I think about um, um, law enforcement, correct, we talk about law enforcement in, the, in school, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, so when I, when I think about law enforcement, um, we think about, we got to first of all think about the community that we're serving. And when we think about law enforcement, if, if I feel like it's a factor, we got to think about why is law enforcement in our schools if they are there? We think about the in the high school setting, we think about the gang relations. We think about um, the um, the riots that possibly may endure or occur. And then you think about middle school. Or you think about uh, in those middle school or high school settings, we think about drugs being being implemented in our schools or being driven or, or sold in our schools. So the law enforcement has a reasoning there. But as I think about elementary school, uh, I, I know that I've, I've seen some elementary schools that have public, I mean, that PO, that public officer there serving in different capacities, whether that's a controller, a irate parent, we think about all different aspects. So I, I would say, you know, I, well, if I had to vote on that, I think it's 50-50. It has its pros and cons, but at the same time, it goes back to exposure. And I think the biggest I think the biggest thing, if we get our students to understand what's the reasoning, what get our parents to understand the reasoning behind it. You think about these school shootings. It, would, would that be a benefit to have that PO there, that public officer or would it not? So in my in my mind, I think I, I definitely encourage it at the middle school and high school setting. But I don't see it at the elementary school level more. I see if we did have a public officer that comes to the elementary school setting, I think it would be good to build that relationship and know that what 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 are cops or what are police standing for and, and have that color aspect of it, whether that be a white cop or black cop, have both of them come speak to our students, not just one variety of or demographic speak to those students. But at the middle school and high school setting, I, def- I definitely recommend it. And what you said in that second half definitely got my attention. And I think that's important. I didn't even think about that prior. Mm-hmm. To know how an officer, like to get to know an officer right. in a uniform, especially in this climate, Yes, black man yes. or black woman. Definitely, so if you're of all you're seeing, because now all kids have a lot of kids have access to social media. Unfortunately, mm-hmm, they're seeing some of these mm-hmm. killings. That's one of the ways to build a relationship. I know it's not one sided. Of course, a system reform, all that we I mentioned that in other episodes. Right. But for our end, for our kids to not fear officers at least early on, unless right. they give you a reason to. To have that friendly face that you saw as like that protector, I can right. see that being a benefit. I didn't even think about that, but I did have, we did have law enforcement when I got to high school. Didn't know about that in middle school, elementary, because mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. fights or any, anything was de escalated from, you know, the actual teachers and staff mm-hmm. members. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in high school, we did have Officer Patterson, but I never see Officer Patterson. Um, be excessive. He was friendly. Mm-hmm. He joked around a lot. He did the, the little Channel One news, like little interviews with the little school right, news. Right. Like he was, he was friendly, and he had his uniform on every day. So it wasn't as intimidating when I saw an officer outside of that, because I'm like, well, he might be like Mr. Patterson. He might be like Officer Patterson. Might be cool like him. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point that you made. And, and just to talk, and just to talk a little bit, I want to I want to talk back up the the whole police officer situation. And 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 I know we we talk about this. We have our own personal conversation with our colleagues. And like, of course, all officers are not bad. All officers are not good. Same thing with teachers. All teachers are not great teachers. All teachers are good teachers. So we got to keep that in mind. But the biggest thing is having that that exposure to, especially our young children, because you do have some young children that when I think about that K through sixth grade, the first thing they think of you say an officer or an as we see some students that I currently work at my school, their parents are in law enforcement. So when other students see those law enforcement, we don't want to see fear. We want them to see and have the opportunity to build that relationship. So having those officers come and speak to our students, like I said, of all colors and backgrounds, so they can have a better understanding of what what is the purpose of a law officer, a, a police officer in any capacity. Got it. And I guess the second half, this is going to be a comment more than a question, but mm-hmm. one of the elaborations 
on that poll was kind of like what you mentioned. It's based on the community that's being served. Mm-hmm. Because when I had a conversation initially with Ashley, I was, of course, thinking about my school and how mm-hmm. we were brought up. I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't really no need like that. Mm-hmm. And then I had to think about it. I said, well, I did my fair share of traveling. And I've been in areas in the bigger cities where the schools there was definitely not like how it was when I was in school. Gotcha. Right, had, right, right. You had activity. You did have gang affiliations and retaliation mm-hmm. was the most fair mm-hmm. thing. So I was kind of asking a lot for a teacher that's not trained to not at all. Right. Any hand, any handguns that brought in school constantly, any knife work. Mm-hmm. Um, just some schools actually have um, metal detectors, especially like on the West Coast. Yes, at, have, the, at that house setting, school. definitely, definitely. Um, and I also, there's actually a YouTube channel called Real Stories. They do a lot of documentaries. They just released a documentary on a high school in Orangeburg. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Orangeburg. Yes, I'm very familiar with Orangeburg Wilkinson. I had the opportunity to meet one of the administrators there. He wrote, he's a very prestigious administrator, and I think he's a superintendent somewhere as well. So I know exactly what you're talking about, Nate. Yeah, and I just saw the documentary like a few days ago, actually mm-hmm. preparing for this podcast, and he actually um, described the principal, the superintendent, excuse me, he described um, having law enforcement there. He had a, you know, it was a, it was a black guy, I've got a new mm-hmm. officer. Mm-hmm. And how they just had an incident where the student was like bleeding from the head from an attack, mm-hmm. and how this was to ensure that the student's safety is in is in hand, not to necessarily police them in right, the way of right. them, but also of hey, the teachers are already a lot of stress in this an environment with less resources. We need something in play because in that one episode, you had students um, running away, you had students attacking one another. Yes, and it's like riots. Mm-hmm. Right. So and you don't want to bring money up to it. But let's, let's be fair. Some teachers might be discouraged already based on the lack of resources. They probably not being paid the same way. And you're asking them to step in front of a child. And these kids, they are definitely bigger than I remember growing up. Right. Even like, strong, even stronger than the teacher. You depend on whether that's a whether that's a female or male teacher. The, the students are even stronger. We think about uh, think about that. Absolutely. Imagine trying to detain a football lineman that's exactly. ready to go to college. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, I, I get it. So after that poll and after you breaking it down, I definitely understand. So, you know, what? Like I said, being case by case, I, I do understand people are saying no because they're thinking mm-hmm. about what if. And they have the moments that went viral, especially I think mm-hmm. when that. Officer, I think he slammed the, the black child on the desk. Yes, I, I've it. seen and, I, and I've seen several cases. And like, like I said, it it, it, it all depends. Like you said, we got to go case by case with this. If we have a if we have a, a officer being very aggressive with a kid that's in K through fifth grade, that is, that's a problem there. But that that officer need to be removed. We need to hire another officer because there's no at no point should an officer in a in a where that carries a handgun be that irate with a student that's in K through fifth grade. Right. Absolutely. Their job is to make sure things are good out of hand. I, that's why, you know what, shout out, I don't know if you'll ever hear this, shout out to Officer Patterson because he did everything the right way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he de-escalated, he never, he never used his, his title as a way to intimidate or go, you know, step across the line, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, he just knew how to de-escalate a fight quickly. He had a size to him. He was mm-hmm. very quick and nimble, but he knew exactly what to do to take you down and the fight's right, over. Right, no, right. You know, there was no pain involved. Gotcha. You might get embarrassed based on how he grabbed you. Yeah. You know, might be a full Nelson. You know, <laughs> it might be a German suplex based on how, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. Really based on how you reacted. But I, I trust that, especially when I think you'll see more female teachers um, than male teachers. You're asking them to break up certain fights. Mm-hmm. And there's so... Mm-hmm. There's some students that are, you know, that are not guys, but they could be a handful to break up. Yeah. You know, yes. so, you, you know, and the only that uh, someone else that brought this up too, uh, he actually mentioned legally that might be better as well because there are the instances that I've seen, viral, I'm sure you have, where a teacher defends themselves in the parent suits. Yes, the parents, the parents able to sue the school district and that teacher. 
And if that teacher is not a part of an educational association that may even represent represent them, that teacher is out of luck. They lost their job and, and don't have representation. So they have to hire their own personal lawyer in that aspect. You mentioned an education association. So what is that exactly? So um, National Education Association, NEA, um, that's a great um, and not just for legal issues to handle, but just as a whole, have that support, whether that's going to the State Department of South Carolina, um, going going to um, that standing on standing in Columbia, South Carolina as a representation. You also have um, other other national other public other i would say teacher associations but um you got the south south carolina Palmetto teacher association you got national educational association so with those associations they 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 provide that feedback and keep you up to date what what laws are passing what what's going on with se ready and se pass right now i know a big battle right now is 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 whether we should have students still testing with covid in mind that's a big big thing that they're fighting right now but at this time students will be testing in south carolina starting se ready next week they're doing SC, they're doing reading and writing starting next week. So those associates are very beneficial. I feel like a lot of teachers get overwhelmed with emails, but at the same time you get newspaper articles, you get you get updates on what's going on in, in South Carolina as a whole. So and and you can easily get overwhelmed with so much going on. So you have those educational associations provide you with that feedback and what's going on here in South Carolina with education purposes. Got it. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Education. Learn a lot in this call already. Definitely, um, definitely, man. So on this topic, on this last topic, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry, so I, I could I could suck at um doing preliminaries. I'm my mind can just race and I can think. Oh, it's something. all good. It's all good. <laughs> so a big topic, and I, it's unfortunate because public school system has been a punching bag, especially in this era of entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. wokeness, and one of the areas is the lack of black history or even mm-hmm. threatening to take out slavery mm-hmm. in school books. And that's a hard topic. And even digging into it myself as a reason, you know, just researching it, I do realize, even though I think North Carolina just passed it, I think maybe a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. I, I don't know English and math, social studies is one subject that doesn't really have a benchmark or, or anything mandatory attached to it. And that's, a belief on why it's so inconsistent with how slavery is taught or brought up in school because social studies doesn't have that same regard to math and English when it comes to standardized testing or what's you know like you know I guess in English and math you have okay they have to learn this they have to learn right this. right but based on social studies it's not as consistent across the board so my question to you is um, is it because the lack of Standard social studies is a reason why history hasn't taught properly to students. And what do you think of this constant conversation to remove slavery altogether from the curriculum? So let's just talk about slavery as a first point. Um, okay. I definitely disagree. I 100% disagree with removing slavery from our history books. And we and the reason why is that we, we got to look at it for what it is. It's not, I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not on a 50-50 fence. Slavery is a part of American culture. At that time, uh, slavery developed our United States of America, what we call. Some of us are proud of it, some are not. But at the end of the day, slavery is a part of our history, whether we like it or not. So when we think about removing it, are we are we just going to remove everything else as well out of our social studies books? And also, nature talk about state state testing. I can't talk about North Carolina, but in South Carolina, no social studies and science is also is always altered throughout the year. So currently, students will be taking SE Pass dealing with science, and if we alter again next year, we'll be doing social studies. Some schools don't even do a black his- don't even recognize black history. So that that's another point that's very shocking to me. And we just talk about history as a whole. But I, I definitely disagree on moving, removing slavery. Slavery is definitely what made a lot of a lot of our, our, our inventors come about. Um, it's sad to say that we, we want to sit here and remove it as if it never occurred. Or you hear some people talk about it as if it was a, um, a wonderful time, which is definitely wrong. But I think at the end of the day, with social studies, we definitely got to restructure that. That'd be a great thing. To, that'd be one of the key things I think we need to restructure and look at as educators and also looking at a pacing guy that's more more accurate. Not saying we need to hate each other, but at the same time, slavery was a major factor of social studies. It's a major factor of a United States history at the end of the day. I agree. 
Now, you have a son. Yes. Proud father. Yes. When it comes to, <laughs> and I can just imagine some people's reactions to this, when it comes to disciplining like mm-hmm. kids in schools, mm-hmm. what what's your take on that? Um, I know, I know that's not going. That's never going to be a uniform agreement, right? But um, one thing that I will say, since we mentioned slavery, and like once again, mm-hmm. I'm taking these steps, um, it, it is believed. Studies kind of show that the reason why that you know, particularly a lot of black families, traditional mm-hmm. black families, we discipline the way we do is because how we were disciplined with our slave masters. Mm-hmm. And studies have shown that actually. Discipline in that same way can be counterproductive in a sense because it might teach a child hostility rather than understanding that they did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You kind of be angry. So anytime there is some type of conflict, they actually take that out on someone their age. Um, studies have been showing that. Um, so with your school, is discipline a gray area? Is it more traditional? Um, how do you feel about that aspect of schooling and how we when, should go about it? When, when think about discipline, at any point, whether you are a child or adult, a consequence must occur. Now, mm-hmm. think about a consequence, Nate. I'm not saying at no time I'm saying beat a child. But for my four-year-old son, when he's out of line, he does receive a pop on his hand. I'm just being honest. I do I do talk with him. He's four years old. You'd be surprised how fast our kids can understand and recognize what is right and what is wrong. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. I don't I don't I totally disagree of of any adult that's not that parent or guardian to beat the child. I don't I don't think I don't believe in corporate punishment. I don't I don't think we should have a paddling system. I definitely against that. But if that parent or that guardian want to come up there and and take that child in their car or off the school property and handle that child and bring them back, I'm in total agreement with that. I think at this at the end of the day, a lot of our students now they don't recognize consequences. So when they are in trouble, no one is saying beat them, no one is saying abuse them, but they do have to recognize what is a suitable consequence for your wrong actions. Well said. Now, for the last closing remarks, mm-hmm. what can even someone like me who doesn't have any kids yet? Mm-hmm. Parents, someone like me, anyone that's passionate about helping out the future generations, what can we do to help the teachers? I think I think the biggest thing, and uh, when I- I'm glad you asked this last closing remark, is getting active. Like you said, Nate, you 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 don't have any children at this time. You're not a parent at this time, but I, I would love to see more volunteers. I know COVID has 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 limited that. Um, I just want to shout out shout out a couple of fraternities that reached out to a couple of school in Florence one, and we're very happy to have that have that influence from just just those those influence of those community leaders, those stakeholders. I think it's very important that we have those educators feel welcome. Last week we just celebrated Teacher Appreciation Week, which is which was is a great week. But think about our, our, our teachers as a whole; they are with students from 7:45 a.m. Till about 2.30 p.m. And when you think about after school programs, that's from 7.45 a.m. regular school to about 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock p.m. Working with someone's child, giving them the best quality education, giving them the best experience, a safe environment for those children. So as I think about people that's outside looking in on education, get those, get this ask the teacher uh, their opinion about their day. Ask them about what resources they may lack that they don't have, and just try to come volunteer in the schools. I mean, I know, like I said, I know COVID isn't. You got to keep COVID in mind, but you'd be surprised how many volunteers that will be impacted. And to have those, whether male, female, black, white, just have those volunteers coming to help out. It's a lot of teachers that may need that assistance in the classroom. You may never know. It might open a career path for some people that never thought about education. So I think just having that opportunity to be a resource for a public school or a private school, whatever the case may be, whatever suits your suit. I feel like this is the biggest thing is being that listening ear, being able to provide those resources the kids are lacking, whether that's going to a school and be like, oh, do you have any kids that's, that's, that's in a foster home or homeless right now? You have, you'd be surprised how many kids are going through so many things, Nate. So just being that open ear and being a resource for those schools, those, those outsiders looking in. 
Great. And I hope all my listeners are mindful of that. And to add on to that, um, any kind of effort can be beneficial. Don't ever right. think that everybody has to help in the same manner. If exactly. you don't want to be in the front lines, you read research and research the leader, the leadership that makes these decisions and write letters to them. Um, get their attention on certain things after discussing the resources needed. Um, you can just be someone that even a share online to your followers. Maybe mm-hmm. you have more followers than next. Share that and raise awareness. Um, do funds. Um, if there's an issue with school and maybe certain things that they need, then mm-hmm. do your own little fund. Maybe you, you got a mother that that cooks and sells dinner plates. That's still the old school way of getting money. Do that. That's still Yeah, yeah definitely. Everybody can play a part. Um, and I'm definitely going to make sure that I play my part in some way. Um, I think my my advantage is creativity and also having a platform, which is this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And any, anytime I can bring someone in the education side to help out our education system, I'd be glad to do so to kind of shed light on things that we didn't think about or something that we were misled about. And our kids are the future. And we our kids can definitely do more than just entertain. Definitely, um, definitely. So I think we need to be mindful of that, you know, especially in our communities. We we, we worship entertainers because we're known for entertaining. And I think that's fair because we're known for so much more and we can do so much more. But we can only do that if they have the resources to help out our educators to educate your child, your niece, your nephew, mm-hmm. you know, to get to that level where they can maximize the capacity. So, Henry, whilst I definitely appreciate you coming on. And, and definitely sharing your 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 experience, um, your expertise. I don't know what the right proper word to say it, but um, just your um, your voice because we, I, we definitely I truly need to, appreciate it. Yeah, we definitely need to, to shed this in a, a different light of of importance. If they're not going to do it, we gotta force them to do it. It's like how we our voices were heard on so many other issues. This mm-hmm. is something that everybody can agree with that education support for our kids. So with that being said, another episode of The Message is Moving. I appreciate everybody for listening. And until next time, once again, Henry, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Be blessed. It's moving. It's beat.